Hello, everybody, and welcome to the You Thought Media Sportscast, the best sports podcast which shares a name with the trivia team from January 2019 at O'Rourke's Public House in South Bend, Indiana. My name is Lucas Mason Moyer, and here with me are Jared Ludecker and Aiden Lewis. We decided not to invite Montana Giordano back this week. <laughs> <laughs> Last week was his tryout, and he, he flunked it. Yeah. No. He, he, he failed because he was too good. So... Anyway, Jared, this week with our Montana List panel, what do we have going on? All right, we'll start by reviewing what we saw from the college football playoff semifinals, the epic Camping World Bowl, and discuss what we expect to see from the national championship game between the LSU Tigers and little old Clemson. Next, we'll review some of the highlights of the decade, including but not limited to a debate about the decade's best team, the best villain, and play of the decade. But before we start, we are keeping a close eye on the bowl results and our predictions. As we are speaking, Virginia and Florida are playing, but the current standings have me, of course, in first place at 16 and 9, Aiden in second place at 14 and 11, and Lucas close behind in third place at 13 and 12. So we're all just kind of barely hovering over 500 right now. <laughs> <laughs> I would not call 16 and 9 barely hovering above 500, yeah, that's, that's Jared. Check solid. your privilege. Yeah. Some of us are actually close to 500. <laughs> I'm humble. Speaking of, yes. one, one thing I wanted to point out before, the Penn, some Penn State player, I can't remember his name, has tattoos that are humble beast on his bicep. <laughs> so he has to flex to show them i don't think that's humility <laughs> <Anyway>. <laughs> i love it uh, yeah well stay tuned i think we like mostly pick the same results for like these later bowl games so yeah. it's gonna we're gonna need some drama yeah i think we, we got gonna, a little gonna, tired after 35 bowl picks and the last couple <laughs> or the last few were, were pretty bad <laughs> so anyways moving on we're now gonna debrief on the college football semifinals that we saw on Saturday. We'll start with LSU-Oklahoma, which kind of played out as we predicted on here. Not saying that we're, we're experts, but we, we kind of saw this coming. Yeah, Jared, you want to start us off with talking about how that game went down? Yeah, obviously the big storyline there um, on the field was Joe Burrow just completely dominating with his seven touchdowns in one half. Um, I think it's fair to ask the question. One of the reporters asked it to Coach Ogeron during the press conference uh, about if Joe Burrow's having the greatest individual season ever. He's doing. He's really just having an absolutely magical season, beating Alabama, beating however many top team, top ten teams they did this year. Won the Heisman, pretty much all the individual awards. As I said, seven touchdowns in one half. He needs. He only needs four touchdowns to set the single season passing touchdown record. And then he needs a, a pretty big game, 626 yards, to set the record for most passing yards in a season. But who knows? Who's saying he's not going to do it at this point? Not could have passed it. it. Yeah. Also, I want to talk about his completion percentage. His completion percentage this year is 77.6%. Yep. <laughs> that, that is truly remarkable. Yeah, that would also like, be a record if he keeps that where he's at. That would also be a record. It's equivalent to his completion percentage when he played one game for Ohio State in 2016. Like, I I just can't even stress how, like, incredible of a number that is. Yeah. <clears throat> when, I mean, what, what, did, what did Ian Book have a few seasons ago last year when he had that really high completion percentage? In that year, Ian Book had a completion percentage of 68.2%. Yeah. Which, is which so was, crazy. like... Which is, Very like, exceptional. High. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and, but it's not come close to 77.2%. Also, he threw, like, throwing for over 5,000 yards is remarkable. I know it's, like, a different game, but Jameis Winston led the NFL with around that many yards this year in, like, far fewer games. And um, Joe Burrow managed to throw 24 fewer interceptions than <laughs> Winston. <laughs> different game, obviously, but... Still. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. No, it's a pretty remarkable change for Burrow given that last year, I mean, he was you know, he transferred from Ohio State, right? And last year his his numbers were solid, but his completion percentage was twenty percent lower. Like he was averaging, you know, seven yards per attempt instead of like eleven. Like whatever Joe Burrow did in the off season should be the the program that everyone gets on because what a wild change. Kinda out of nowhere. 
It's got to be. Yeah. It's got to be a testament to to the, the offensive staff um, and Coach O. I mean, I, probably deservingly. Well, definitely deservingly winning Coach of the Year this year for Coach O. Um, which I I just I kind of like. A lot of people have been saying this. I like that he's doing well because. He kind of gets picked on a little bit, you know, in the media because of his voice and like, but it seems like the players really love him, and I'm I'm really actually happy to see that they're doing well with him at the helm too. Yeah, and he's had like a a pretty unremarkable record as a head coach before this. Like, I wonder what it is about like this year and this team that has just like clicked in every way. Like at USC, he was like meh as the interim coach. When he was the head coach at Ole Miss, his only other head coaching gig. He only lasted three years, but like I wonder what it is about like this LSU team that took him to like one of the greatest ever. I don't know seasons, yeah. in college football history. Yeah, I remember when Les Miles got fired. I mean, and he was he was interim. Like I like I think we all kind of assumed that was a temporary thing, like that he wasn't yep. going to take it over. Like that, you know, they're LSU. They're going to get a big name coach in there, but they stuck with him, and he seems to really just like mesh with the identity of LSU he seems to like kind of embody their spirit and so it's kind of fun to see him doing so well yeah I think him being like from Louisiana like you just said he just like meshes with the culture like everybody buys in and like I don't know just loves playing for him which is cool to see and especially just because their identity has changed so much from such like I don't know a boring like defensive team who just would like pound the ball up the middle to like this high-flying offense is pretty cool to watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, who's the last elite quarterback LSU had? I mean, Jamarcus Russell. Yeah, like, uh, <laughs> like uh, yeah, I, I can't, yeah, like name off the top of my head. Like they're not, yeah, they're not generally known for that. So it's yeah, such a change, and it clearly is working. So yeah, I mean, speaking of like rounding out the decade, it's a really far cry from the last time LSU was really good back in 2011 when they went 13 and one and when they played uh that first game they had against Alabama I think was uh nine to six you know that that that's what that's interesting so an LSU Alabama game in 2011 was nine to six this year it was like 40 it was 40 to something I can't remember the exact score but both teams were in the 40s so that that's like a crazy way to see looking at the arc of the decade I guess is interesting yeah the the offensive football has taken over. It's gone the way of <laughs> yeah. I mean, they were Mike Leach yeah. and the air raid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they were playing the team like Oklahoma is is known for their offense. Like that's their thing. SEC is always you know the defensive you know running base team, and they just completely showed up OU at their own game. So you know, it's yeah, a, definitely a statement from the SEC, but one that's kind of different than. The general statement you see from them so oh yeah i was just like so impressed to watch them because like usually oklahoma can at least like keep up points wise but they just like blitzed out to like such a lead and like their defense played well enough that just like 49 points in the first half is incredible like i know it wouldn't have made any logical sense and that they would have like maybe gotten somebody injured but to see if they had put up like 70 or like 77 on them or 84 like that would have just been wild and they like could have like they only didn't because they wanted to rest players yeah 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 i mean they played them like the worst teams in the sec they played them like they were vanderbilt or you know like <laughs> it was just a, just a absolute blowout and yeah like they definitely put the you know took their foot off the gas like after that for after the first half so could have been a pretty brutal scoreline otherwise already was to be honest yeah and, and switching to the i was just gonna say switching to the other side of the football i, I, I don't know if you guys were surprised i was surprised that jalen hurts kind of went out with a went, went out with a whimper i guess didn't really have like like lsu's defense really showed up too obviously the talks about joe burrow but lsu's defense showed up and shut down a really good second place heisman you know and jalen hurts is also impressive yeah and it's just like Oklahoma year after year is just getting embarrassed in the college football playoff, which is like, I mean, I, when they had Baker, they went to OT versus Georgia, but like this year and last year, like they've just looked so out of their depth. It's been, I don't know, sad to see. And I'm not going to go all 
Paul Feinbaum and make the argument that they should never be let back into the playoff. I just think that like <laughs> this, like because they lost by a lot, that ridiculous argument he made about Notre Dame that because they got blown out one year, they should never be back in the playoff. But yeah. that's a rant for another Still day. Yeah. Um, but it's just, <laughs> I think that this year they happen, they happen to be the one that like snuck into a field with three excellent teams and that whoever that like fourth team was, was just going to get whipped by whoever the number one seed was. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, OU is just consistently, they're, like, consistently the fourth best team in the, like, literally, like, consistently the fourth best team in the nation, but they can't beat the top three teams yet. Like, and it, and like you said, their defense, 63 points, gave up 63 points this year, 45 last year, 54, you know, so they've given up 40 plus every time they go there. That's that's their and that's their problem right there. Yeah, and this year they talked about you know they kind of revamped their defense right like they were supposed to be better and you know obviously Joe Burrow might be a special case but it was like the result was the same or it, as yeah as you put it Jared it was it was worse by score so. And I think the one other thing the Lincoln Riley buzz about heading to the NFL. Um, this is kind of unrelated. I don't know if you're Lincoln Riley do. You, if you guys are Lincoln Riley, do you want to go to the NFL right now, or do you want to stay at OU and try to ride this out? What do you think? I think if I were him, I would like take the goodwill while I had it, because like I don't know if they're gonna get better than this, and even this level of good like seems pretty tenuous. So like if really you have your one chance to like get into the NFL and coach the Browns or whatever, reunite with Baker, I say do it in a heartbeat. <laughs> like honestly, like I don't think. Like, you're not going to have, like, a generational quarterback back-to-back-to-back. With, like, you're not going to have a Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray than Jalen Hurts. Like, at some point, the the well of good quarterbacks transferring from other schools is going to dry up. And you're going to have to just, like, reckon with the fact that your defense is terrible when you don't have, like, an excellent quarterback again. So, I think that he's maybe reached his zenith at Oklahoma and should cash in all the goodwill while he has it. Yeah, it does seem like they've plateaued. You know, it seems like like if he's happy just winning the Big Twelve every year and then, you know, going to the playoff and getting you know smacked, then that's one thing. I mean, it's an achievement for sure to be you know a top four team, but it does seem like it might be like it's happened enough times at this point that it's it might be time to move on. But we'll see. Moving on to the Browns is not necessarily the, yeah. you know, the ideal case for anyone, even if you're well, reuniting I mean, with your star QB. But is Lincoln Riley then kind of on the same level as like a Brian Kelly? They can get you. He he can get you there, but he can't win it. Win it for you. What do you think? Yeah, I mean Lincoln Riley might be a slightly like improved version of Brian Kelly, and the fact that like he can at least go like twelve and one every year, whereas Brian Kelly, that's like no guarantee. But like. They're in the similar, like, tier of coach in my mind. Just Kelly might be further towards the bottom of that tier, and Riley might be slightly higher in that tier. Yeah, not trying to not trying to take away anything from Lincoln Riley's success, but he did inherit a, a really good program already. And I, I, I don't know. I In my opinion, if I'm Lincoln Riley, I stay with Oklahoma. I don't go to the NFL and try to revive a dead program. That's just, like, that's just so much harder than you think. Where when you when you come in and already inherit Bob Stoops' program that was already really good, I don't know. Like maybe the Cowboys' job I think might be kind of appealing because they're not terrible, but uh, I, I I would if I were him I'd probably stick it out at OU. Yeah, so we can move on now to the the other game, slightly more competitive game that happened on Saturday between <laughs> Ohio State and Clemson, a kind of controversial game. Uh, to be honest, due to some questionable referee calls. Uh, Lucas, do you have any thoughts on yeah what kind of transpired? I think that game changed in a single moment with a single call, and it was never the same after that, and that was the targeting call. Because um, what would have happened there is it would have been fourth down for Clemson. They would have had to punt it. Ohio State up 16 nothing. can basically either score, run out the clock till half, and go in. Um, but... Clemson kept going, they ended up scoring, and they just, like, all the momentum from that point shifted in Clemson's favor. I think, by, like, the rule of law, it was the correct call for targeting, but I think that that was the moment in which the game changed because it, it shifted momentum from Ohio State just, like, spiraling out of control back towards, like, giving Clemson a semblance of hope, 
And because they could latch onto that and then score, their like big game experience just took over and Trevor Lawrence just sort of took the helm. And I think like that was another story was that just like Clemson had the experience of being there before in the way that Ohio State didn't. So like you could see their resiliency. Um, and not that Ohio State didn't fight back after they went back down, they did, they scored again, but just like that last drive where they just sort of crumbled and let Clemson score super quickly. And then um, Justin Fields throwing that pick in the end zone right at the end. I think just their nerves sort of got to them. And I think Clemson's like toughness and experience and playoff game showed. And that's what ultimately gave them the edge. Which is sad because I picked Ohio State to make the championship. So <laughs> my own bowl prediction sh- suffered. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Trevor Lawrence even said that, you know, after the game, right, that he said that's what spurred their comeback was the targeting call and whether that's true or not but it definitely seemed like a you know a bit of a wake-up call for Clemson you know not only a second chance but something you know rally around uh and you did see the tide very much turn after it yeah I agree Lucas that I don't think that or that it is letter of the law probably targeting you just can't hit guys high anymore I guess but um I mean he led with his helmet too like yeah, I mean, he, he dipped his head, yeah. But, like, they wouldn't have even looked at that if Trevor Lawrence didn't, like, if Trevor Lawrence didn't um, kind of lay there for a little bit. They probably wouldn't have even looked at that. Because real time, you're like, that's not that's not targeting. Like, real time, you're not, like, see that as an egregious play. I've seen some people online saying that it should, there, there should maybe be a two tiers of targeting, where, like, a, which, obviously, it's going to open up gray area, but there already is gray area. In terms of like, if it's malicious, then it that's like an ejection. But it's I don't know if that kind of play that that guy got ejected on should be an ejection. Sure, it's targeting, but I don't know if that kid should be ejected for that. What do you guys think? I don't know. I feel like you get into such a gray area, like you said before. Like two tiers is like a good idea in theory, but and then it just becomes gray, and then like what becomes an injection and what doesn't. So I feel like you either have to make targeting always an injection or targeting never an injection. And I'm not, I guess if you really want to enforce it and really drive home the safety thing, you have to make it an injection every time. So, well, like it sucked for Ohio state in the moment. I think ultimately like I'm kind of on board with targeting always being an injection. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, it does seem like, you know, college football has made the stand that, you know, any kind of targeting will end in ejection. And whether whether that's super fair is debatable just because, you know, we see it. We see pits that seem more malicious than others. Some seem to deserve an ejection, whereas others seem, you know, just the product of, you know, football. of And it still should be punished, but it's hard to, yeah, it's a little difficult to, to draw that line. And adding tiers i'm not sure if adding more lines and more gray areas is better but there there are levels to targeting i don't think you're wrong with that jared and i think you could do it like they do it in the nba with flagrant ones and flagrant twos i think you could do it but another Mm -hmm. controversial call was when um the clemson receiver caught the ball took like three steps and uh got stripped by their their corner jordan fuller then scooped and scored but then obviously reviewed it and got taken away. I don't even know. I have no idea how that call gets overturned. Like, I can see it if they originally ruled it incomplete, but I don't know how you overturn that call. Like, how's the guy supposed to make a football move when a guy's on top of him wrapping him up? I don't understand. That, no, that yeah, one, I mean, I... That me yeah. a little bit. I, I agree, and I think that was a big stance, not confirms. Like, I think that, like, there wasn't enough evidence, like you said, to overturn it. Like, I thought he had possession of the ball, went to take steps, but I guess couldn't make the... The whole idea of, like, a football move seems, like, very, like, ambiguous and vague, too. Like, I don't know what else he's supposed to do other than catch the ball and start running forward, but apparently, like, it seemed like he had possession of the ball, he took those steps, but, I mean, that was the one call where I'm like, I think Ohio State got sort of screwed over on, because, I don't know, I know there was talk about, like, the pass to the end zone where the ball, like hit the ground and then got dislodged. But I think that was the right call on that one. But I think in terms of the fumble that was the scoop and score, I think, I don't know. I don't know how you overturn that, like you said before. Like, 
it is sort of nebulous, but if the call on the field is a fumble, there's not indisputable video evidence, I think, to say otherwise. Yeah. And then, but, and then um, to close it out, I think, like, Ohio State definitely has some, like, legit gripes with the refs, but they left so many points on the, on the board as well. They kicked three field goals. In the red zone, too, they could have had touchdowns. So they, they yeah, that... like, they can be mad all they want, but they also had opportunities, you know. That game could have been done by halftime if they scored on all their field goals. Yeah. Like the game's like 28-7 or whatever. Yeah. So looking forward to the championship then. What do you guys think? Predictions? Who wins? Does Joe Burrow cap off his magical season? Or does Clemson's experience and Trevor Lawrence sort of get him over the line? Um, <clears throat> this, is, this is like really a, a case of the unstoppable force against the immovable object. Like, literally, Clemson, best scoring defense in the league, 10.6 points per game, with literally against LSU, the best scoring offense and yards-wise, 48.9 points per game. And I know everyone's saying it feels like LSU's year and feels like Joe Burrow's year, but we would be saying that against Clemson if they played the SEC schedule as well. So I think, like I said a few weeks ago when we predicted, I I don't see – I see Clemson winning it. I think it'll be a good game, but I I just – think Clemson is super good yeah I'm I'm pretty excited I think it'll be yeah definitely a competitive game but I'm gonna have to go with LSU just because of the magnitude of their wins over the past couple weeks I mean they've played essentially the number four team twice in a row in their in their last two games and just destroyed them in both they don't seem like they deserve to be on the field and Clemson is you know a different a different team but We'll see. I, th- I think Joe, Joe Burrow is going to carry the, the magic all the way to the end here. Yeah, I'm updated on this one. I think it's LSU's year. I know that's, like, not concrete details or anything, but, like, just the fact that you can have a quarterback throw, like, almost for 78% completion with, like, 50-plus touchdowns, 5,000-plus yards. Like, I just think that is – it's going to be hard to beat that no matter how good your defense is. Like, so – I think LSU is going to take it. Yeah, I, yeah but I, I will think, say, yeah. but I will say though that Joe Burrow hasn't. I mean, obviously, he hasn't faced the best, literally the best defense in the country. Like it's one thing That's to true. put up, it's one thing to put up sixty points on OU. It's a different thing if you put it up against Clemson. That's pretty. If you put it up, if you put sixty points up against Clemson, like that's absolutely ridiculous. But yeah, so we'll see about that. I, it's going to be yeah. low. I think it's going to be pretty low scoring. I think. Yeah. Yeah, you know, if it's a low scoring, that definitely favors Clemson. I think. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think it'll be a good game to measure how good the SEC was this year, because yeah. you know they only got one team into the playoff this year. That's that's been different in other years, but there were some SEC teams that played LSU close, right? Bama, Auburn, uh, some pretty pretty tight games. But you know, judging off the Oklahoma game and even the Georgia game, like. It'll be interesting to see if Clemson can stick with LSU, and if if they can't, in the case that LSU keeps up this run, you know, it's a testament to the SEC having a really good year, and maybe Bama and Auburn being better than we gave them credit for. So, so you guys think that Joe Burrow that that it's going to be like a shootout, and Joe Burrow is just going to outscore them? I don't That's think it's going to necessarily. Uh, I don't see it necessarily being a shootout, but. I think it'll be like a, a 38-35 game or something like that. And I think even that favors LSU because it's high enough scoring that I think it, it plays into the offense's favor. Like, I realize Clemson's defense is good, but they were also playing, like, no offense to the ACC, like, scrubs all year. Like, and I think that that helps a little bit to, like, rack up the, like, low scoring. Like, it's an impressive number. They're still an excellent defense. But I think the, the flow of the game favors LSU a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it depends on what we mean by low scoring, because at this point, I feel like in college football, low scoring, the, the bar for it is higher, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, would you call the, the Clemson-Ohio State game low scoring? It was kind of at this point. Yeah, kind of. Um, which, <clears throat> I, I could see it being a similar game to that, um, but I do think LSU's offense is a little better than Ohio State's. So, I think, yeah, I'm expecting a score, like, in the 30s. Okay, now moving on, we're doing this in order of importance, you know, leading up to the, the actual important game that happened on Saturday. 
uh, which was the Camping World Bowl, which saw Notre Dame versus Iowa State. Uh, and on here, we talked about it. I thought it was going to be at least a competitive game. It really wasn't, uh, which is which is interesting. But Jared, do you have you want to start with this? Yep, I think the the headline was uh, Brian Kelly dismissing Chip Long a few weeks ago and trying and using Tommy Reese as the offensive coordinator and saying he wants uh, a run first mentality. What? Tom Reese. He goes by Tom Reese now. Okay. Apparently. <laughs> is he trying to redefine himself? Yeah. Tom he Reese, really Tom is. Tom Reese the grown man, not Tommy Reese. <laughs> um, Brian Kelly saying he wants a run first mentality. I don't really know if we completely pulled it off, um, but I will say that the if you take away Tony Jones's big run, his 84-yard run, they still did. He still did okay, like five yards a carry. But where where it did help us out was we had so much room for those big play action plays that to guys like Chase Claypool. Where I do see Brian Kelly saying, "Yeah, run first mentality." Where that definitely helped us out. Um, I don't know if we really have the running back. Ta- we have the O line talent probably, but I don't know if we have the running back talent to say we're a run first team. We'll see. We'll see next year. But um, obviously, I liked what like what uh, I saw. So. Yeah, I did too. I thought the play calling was like pretty good on Tom Reese's part. Like, I thought the way, like you said, like the at least commitment to a solid, decent run game. There are a lot of it did open up the play actions. Chase Claypool is going to be sorely missed next year. That he was a man amongst boys on Saturday. The way he could just like go up and make catches and just looked like he could overpower like anybody who was covering him. It was like special to see, and it's sad that like. He'll make an NFL team a lot better next year, but it's gonna they're gonna miss that sort of like receiver presence because then I'm sure somebody'll step up and be good and there'll be opportunities. But he looked great this weekend. Ian Book officially announced that he's coming back for his fifth year yesterday. So it's good for him to have like three years there. I don't know when the last time is there's been like a three year starting quarterback at Notre Dame, but it'll be interesting to see how he develops in like a third year under Kelly. So, and this was a good tone setter. I realized Iowa State was not great. Like, this was an expected win. But, you know, like I've said in the past, like, Notre Dame didn't used to win games they were supposed to win. And just the fact that they're doing that now is encouraging. 11-2. and two, Good season. I mean, like, again, it feels sort of unfulfilling because, like, they just did chalk. Like, they beat who they were supposed to beat and lost who they supposed to, were supposed to lose to. But, I don't know. I'm content with it. I'm excited for next season, I think. The Clemson game next year is going to be wild. Um, I'm excited for that. But, yeah, yeah, good bowl win. I'm happy with it. Yeah. My biggest takeaway from this or wasn't wasn't so much a takeaway as a question was how good is the Big 12? Because it's not like Iowa State dominated the Big 12 or was even, you know, a, like a, a top-tier team in the Big 12. But they had close games all season, which, you know, is what we said in the kind of the lead-up to this. Like they played Oklahoma very close and Baylor very close, and they didn't they didn't get blown out by pretty much anyone. But this game was not close ever, and it could just be a case of it being a bowl game and Iowa State not caring. Uh, but it could also be a case of the Big Twelve just you know playing themselves all year and not giving us a good idea of how good anyone is. And you know maybe that's that was just the case that Oklahoma wasn't that good, Baylor wasn't that good, no one in the Big Twelve was that good. And that might be too big of a takeaway to take from this. You know, it was one game. Uh, but it was definitely a disappointing showing from Iowa State. Yeah, I mean, the other the other big team from... The other two big teams from the Big 12, Oklahoma State lost to the SEC. Oklahoma lost to the SEC. That's a good takeaway, actually. I didn't even think about that. Um, yeah. That that might even be what's holding Oklahoma back a little bit. Is, is they're not really playing in one of the stronger conferences. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but they can sneak into the playoff regardless. Yeah. So, I don't know. <laughs> it's a flawed system. We should talk about it. Yeah, <laughs> the fact that <laughs> the fact that we've arbitrarily deemed the Big Twelve as being better than the American Athletic Conference <laughs> <laughs> no concrete proof. Memphis had a solid showing, you know. Yeah. We need to see Memphis play Oklahoma. <laughs> I would watch that. Yeah. <laughs> They played Penn State close, and Penn State at least like can play defense vaguely. So <laughs> I don't know. Fair. Yeah, I think um, wanted to give a shout out to Jeremiah Owusu Koromoa. 
He's a he was a beast this year. Definitely a game ball. I gave him a game ball for the season earlier. Um, three sacks, seven tackles, both team leaders. Um, and then, I mean, well, yeah, like I, I think I've said this before, thirty-three and six in the last three seasons. That's actually really good. That's so it's, good. It's really good. It's still it's not the pinnacle yet, though. It's not top four yet, but we're really good. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I'm I'm really excited for next year playing Wisconsin and Clemson. We have a good schedule. Yeah. Where we might be able to afford a loss, so we'll see. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll see. All right, so what we're going to do next after our brief debrief of the college football playoff and Notre Dame's illustrious one of the Camping World Bowl um, is move on to some best of the decade talking points um, because we only have a couple days left in 2019. By the time this is published and online, it might even be 2020, the new decade. So... What we're going to do is throw out some topics for debate on the best team, moment, athlete, etc. of the decade and just see what each of us think and try and decide on one uh, final crowning achievement of the decade. So we're going to start off with best team. So, Jared, who do you have as the best team of the decade? I went with little old Clemson from last year to the 2018-2019 Clemson football team. And this is why you're wrong if you say it's not Clemson. They're the first team to go 15-0 since 1897. By the way, Dabo Sweeney is always wrong about his history. He says we're the only team to do that every time, and there's always somebody that's done it before, which is pretty funny. Um, but they beat an Alabama team that looked absolutely untouchable for most of the season, 44-16. to Honestly made Nick Saban. Like, Nick Saban doesn't look unprepared very often. Um, they won each of his last 10 games by 20 points. They de- their defense, again, led the nation with 13 points per game. They were just completely dominant that year, so I'm going Clemson from last year's team. I mean, anybody that can beat Notre Dame by 27 has my vote. Because so. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I have Notre Dame, Notre yeah. Dame yeah. out of the playoffs. Is, <laughs> yeah, because be. I have I have the 2018 2019 Notre Dame football team as my second best team of the day. <laughs> so you know, it's <laughs> after Clemson, yeah, no, <laughs> yeah, so. You know, it's, it's hard to argue with Clemson being the best college football team of the decade or the 2018-2019 iteration of Clemson being the best football team of the decade. Uh, but I'm going to say, I'm going to go with the Golden State Warriors. You know, there are a lot of good options for best team of the decade, but the Golden State Warriors had a lot of obviously great years. I'm going with 2016-2017. You know, 2015-2016 was the, the first year that the, the Warriors really dominated. Uh, and they went 73-9. and They were just pretty ridiculous you know best record in nba history uh, but you know as we all know went up three three games to one in in the finals and then blew it to lebron so so we can't give a team that didn't win the championship uh best team of the decade so we're going with 2016 2017 which is you know you know a slightly better warriors team that they gained a little little known sixth man you know kevin durant uh, and they went they went Six sixty-seven and fifteen in the regular season, which is you know no seventy-three and nine. But we all know that at that point the Warriors didn't really care about the regular season. They knew they were going to be the one seed in the playoffs. The Warriors went sixteen and one, just an absolutely dominant performance. Uh, and you know for me, it's I'm giving the Warriors team of the decade, or at least you know I'm giving it for that year. But honestly, for the last half of the decade, the Warriors have been such a dominant team. I think they they deserve the shout out here. Yeah, I picked the same team as Aiden. Just that three of Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and Durant. Just that was like their best year together. Durant averaging twenty five point one, Steph averaging twenty five point three, Clay averaging twenty two point three, Durant also averaging eight rebounds that year and almost five assists. Curry averaging almost seven assists. Like they were just all playing at their best that year. Draymond was a walking almost triple-double that year. Iggy still great off the bench. Like, they just were all hitting their peak that year. And for a lot of the same reasons that Aiden said, I'm going to go with the 16-17 Warriors. It's my best sports team of the decade. All right, well, I'll tell you why you're wrong. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, do, I, do, I do agree with you that um, it, that was definitely a year. I don't know if there's ever been an, another year where you just knew, like, preseason who was going to win. Like, you just knew that it was the Warriors. But that one gets an asterisk with for me because Kawhi Leonard only played one game in that series, and Kawhi was dominating before he got hurt. 
And uh, obviously we know what Kawhi can do from this last year's finals. And Clemson played <clears throat> Clemson played just like a dominant Alabama team with two other. Um, so I'm definitely going. I still have to say it's Clemson. I, I just can't go against them. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I'm for Clemson arguing against them is the argument that I'll always use against Clemson. And that like the regular season was like not that impressive string of wins. Well, like, what, what is the Warriors' regular season then? <laughs> well, that's fair, but like, <laughs> I guess you, you you play who's put in front of you. But I don't know if they were his, historically dominant. Like, they had one good win against Bama, you know, like yeah, which but is they good. They beat everybody else by um, double digits. Yeah, by twenty. But I don't know. I just I I think to have a historically that good season, like LSU this year, LSU would be fifteen and zero if they won. Would this be an even better season? Do you think? That's a great question. Like, is it really the best team of the decade if they can be usurped in one year later? But will they be the best team of the decade or the... Because it would be 2019, 2020. (laughs) 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 They fall into that awkward crack between, yeah. Between official decades. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. But, yeah, moving on, we're, our next category for best of the decade is uh, best moment. And so we, we've got some some good options here. First, uh, LeBron winning, finally winning a championship for Cleveland uh, to another long-awaited win, the Chicago Cubs snapping their 100-year drought in an epic Game 7 World Series win. We got number three, Tua replacing Jalen Hurts and winning the championship with Bama. Number four, Tiger Woods winning the 2019 Masters. We got five, Kobe going up for 60 in his last game, a pretty iconic moment. Six, we're going over to to England with uh, Leicester City winning the Premier League in 2015-2016 as pretty big underdogs. And finally, number seven, the Vegas Golden Knights making the Stanley Cup Finals in their debut season, you know, starting as an expansion team. And yeah, uh, Jared, do you want to start? Yes, I'm going with the Chicago Cubs, snapping their 100-plus-year drought. Um, they were also down 3-1 in their series, in the World Series. It's a longer drought than LeBron. LeBron's would be second place for me. It's a longer drought than Cleveland. Um, and Game 7 itself was also super epic. Went to extra in- Like, think about, like, a Cubs fan who's been waiting their whole life to see this just has to wait so darn long. Went to- goes to extra innings because of the Indians' two-run home run in the ninth, and then a rain delay, and then it's it's that's just crazy. You can't even get any better than that, so I got to go with the Cubs. Yeah, I spent the other day, it was like a week ago, just watching compilations of people react to the Cubs winning the World Series that year and just, like, getting goosebumps, like, every single time. Like, it made me emotional. I have, like, no attachment to the Cubs, but <laughs> it's just really cool to see. Lucas, yeah. then, what's your pick, uh, though? Um, that was one of the ones I was considering, but the one I'm going to go with is Leicester City winning the Premier League in 2015-2016 just because of the absolutely ridiculous odds against um, them doing that. Like, opening betting in the beginning of the year were 5,000 to 1. <laughs> like, I can't even describe how, like, how unlikely it was that, like, that they won the title the previous year. They had been last place in the league, about to get relegated, and then went on the win streak in the last, like, six games of the season and saved their skins. Came into the next year... Um, with a manager in Claudio Ranieri who um, had been kicked out of English football like a decade ago for just basically fumbling his chance at Chelsea. It was a team of a bunch of pretty much average players except for Jamie Vardy and Golo Kante and Rian Mares, who were three just like transcendent talents, but the rest were average. And they just like, like that just doesn't happen in like international soccer in which like small teams overcome like a funding gap. Like Manchester City is like literally can throw a billion dollars at a player if they really wanted to. And Leicester City was with a bunch of guys who had come from like second tier football in like France and England and they just like put together like this remarkable run, playing great defense and then counterattacking with Mares and Vardy and just were able to win. And it's probably something that'll never come like close to happening again where a team with that low of odds wins. Like bookies have have stopped offering odds on things that are that long because of this <laughs> like championship win like they don't no longer offer like 5000 to 1 on anything and i think the fact that it, like a team was able to like change the betting system so much 
because there were such long odds and then won it um, is impressive to me. And I think it's just like a really cool story. So I'll go with that as my moment of the decade. Yeah. Aiden, what'd you, what'd you pick? Yeah, I hate that I'm, you know, keep agreeing with Lucas here. Uh, and I'm not even, you know, a big soccer fan. I'm not, I don't pay too much attention to the Premier League. But it's hard to ignore what Leicester City did in 2015-2016. You know, Lucas, you know, mentioned all the odds, covered all that. But just compared to, like, if we think of it in terms of American sports, like, the the lowest odds for a World Series team, for a team to make the World Series in the same year was 500-1. to 1. The The worst odds for the NFL was the Browns, you know, per usual. 200 to 1 that year so 5,000 to 1 is crazy and like obviously that's a product of the relegation system the fact that you know they're considered they were considered a second tier team you know not a not a team that necessarily belonged in the premier league so it's just such a wild turnaround to have them you know take on the powers that be you know especially after being you know so close to relegation in in the previous year so I'm going with Leicester City which is you know pretty hard for me to pick over the Cubs, which is such like an emotional, you know, victory, even as a non-Cubs fan, they were such a lovable team and a team that came so close at other points, you know, the, the Steve Bartman incident, like there were so many things that seemed to conspire against the Cubs that made it seem like it was never going to happen, especially once they went down 3-1. So that was such an incredible win, but I'm going with Leicester City just based on the ridiculous odds of that happening. I really like that that pick as well but with the hundred there's so much history wrapped in like Leicester City they won a championship but they weren't waiting a hundred years let's be honest <laughs> they, I'm not sure if that's true um I, I want to fact check you I don't know when the last time yeah, is that yeah, they won yeah. uh they never won they never won that was their first ever championship okay well it was I'm right. not counting it yeah. <laughs> 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 when, when were they founded 1884. Oh, shoot. Okay, that's pretty old. <laughs> yeah. Moving on to best athlete of the decade, we have our options of LeBron James, Serena Williams, Simone Biles, Tom Brady, or Lionel Messi. Aiden, who do you, who do you pick? This is a tough one. You know, my gut instinct is LeBron just because, you know, we've, we've watched LeBron dominate the past decade. But I'm going to go with Serena Williams because... You know, if we go, you know, tennis gets a little little less love in, in the mainstream, but Serena, just in terms of sheer dominance, has been so good the last decade. She's won, I think, 12 Grand Slams in just the past decade, and no one else in women's tennis has won more than three. And that's also given the fact that she had a kid, like, I think it was, what, a year or two ago, and so it's kind of, you know, hasn't been as good the last couple of years so just the complete dominance she's had in, in her sport is is pretty incredible. So I'm going with her. Well, Aiden and I are just on the same page with everything today. <laughs> I was also going to pick Serena for all the reasons that he mentioned. Just like nobody has been like more dominant in their sport and also been a winner in the sport. LeBron was my other one I was considering as well. Um, but maybe that's too American-centric because Messi's been incredible too. Though he did like blow his chances in the World Cup and did not win as many Champions Leagues as Ronaldo um, this decade. But, yeah, nobody has been consistently as dominant and won. Like, the 12 Grand Slams is ridiculous. Whereas, like, LeBron has been great, but he won three titles this decade, uh, and which is kind of undermined by, like, the Warriors dynasty. But, like, Serena was, like, the had, had the level of play of LeBron and the dynasty level of the Warriors. And I think that that's just hard to match. I agreed with all of you guys. Uh, <laughs> Serena won gold medals in uh, the 2012 Olympics, in both in singles and doubles with her sister. And yeah, just just to give like a stat for her dominus, uh, dominance, she was in the final of a major tournament 58% of the time. So like you you just like you can just flip a coin. Yep, yep, she's in this time. It's crazy. Yep. So. Um, so, now that we've all just expressed the awe for which we have for Serena Williams and her skill. We're going to move on to the best play um, of the decade. Some options here uh, that we've been debating and mulling around. Uh, kick six uh, in the Iron Bowl between Auburn and Alabama. Earl Beckham Jr.'s iconic one-handed catch for the Giants. Uh, Arike Gumbawale's game-winning three for Notre Dame. 
in both the Final Four and the National Championship of the 2018 March Madness Tournament. Uh, Nova's, or Villanova's, uh, game-winning three to give them their first championship since the mid-'80s over North Carolina. Marshall Lynch's beast quake, Kawhi's game seven shot, and Michigan State's ridiculous recovered fumble um, the 2015 game against Michigan uh, to win the game on the last play in a game that it was almost certain they were going to lose and help propel them to a playoff appearance that year. So, Jared, give us your play of the decade. So the kick six Iron Bowl was the first one I thought of, and I was trying to find, as well as OBJ's catch, and I was find, trying to find some that rivaled it. But I just I did not think anything rivaled the iron the kick six in the Iron Bowl. When I, uh, and I, the reason I picked it is because I remember, I didn't watch it live, but I remember seeing the update for my ESPN app saying that Auburn ran back a 100-yard um, touchdown off of a missed field goal. And I, I was like, this is a typo. What the heck? And then I saw <laughs> and then I saw it, and it was real. And then... To be in an, in, uh, in a rivalry game, I just think seal, um, tops it, you know, for me. Huh. The best part of it, too, is Nick Saban arguing to get that second left on the clock so they could kick the field goal. <laughs> and then them just getting absolutely screwed over yeah. by that happening is fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm going, Aiden, what about you? What yeah. I'm going to be a, a true Notre Dame fan here and go with Arike. And, again, maybe this is unfair because I'm – considering both her her game-winning three as you mentioned in in the final four and you know the the final but just the the fact that you know after she made that final four one you you figured this this last shot that it it would be too magical for it to also go in but it did it was a wild shot wasn't an easy shot either and so to have both of those such clutch moments to you know in the the biggest games of her life were you know incredible Lucas, what did what did you go with? Yeah, I went with the kick six as well, just because that one. Arike's shot is also six in my mind, just from like being at Notre Dame and watching. Although, um, when I watched the final for that game, um, I went with some, with Montana, who <laughs> made an appearance last week, and some other people uh, to watch it at a bar. And there were like the big screens, which were tape delayed, like two seconds behind the ones that were at people's seats. So, like, I knew what was going to happen because you heard people at their seats, like, cheering. And then, like, everybody else saw it on the big screens, which was less than fun. You hate to see that. But, yeah. <laughs> no, but, uh, so, Arike's six in my mind, but the one I picked was the one that sticks even more in my mind, which is the kick six. I remember watching the end of that game and not watching the beginning of the Notre Dame-Stanford game this year. And it's always a big deal when I, like, choose not to watch part of a Notre Dame game. And uh, I just remember, like, being in my house, like, with my family, watching that game and just being just blown away by just, like, what had happened, the energy, the turn with which it took to, like... I don't know. It's always fun to see Alabama lose. We'll talk about villains next. Um, And so I just think all the things went together. And just, like listening to that call over and over again and like the emotion and like the announcer's voice is i don't know my favorite play of the decade and i think the best yeah that that was a great one and yeah jared you alluded to obj's and i definitely considered that one just because in terms of pure skill or just pure wow factor i think obj's one-handed catch was you know the the play of the decade uh but just in terms of you know the the weight of the situation some other things kind of kind of took over but that in terms of pure skill was just ridiculous yeah Yeah, and i think that might be maybe one of the more iconic ones like in the way that people say like kobe when they shoot a basketball like people say we'll say like odell when they make that catch so yeah (laughs) and again like it might not have been like the highest pressure situation like we talked about with the other two that we picked but i just think in terms of like purely like ingraining itself in like popular culture like that was one of the bigger ones as well yeah and as Lucas alluded to, we're going to move on to best villain. So who, who you liked most to root against? And we got some, some good options here, some pretty hateable options. We got Nick Saban and the Alabama Crimson Tide. Also Draymond Green and the Golden State Warriors. Tom Brady and the New England Patriots. And finally, Grayson Allen and Duke. So Lucas, who are you going with? I think it's just my uh, college football bias. But I hate Alabama more than <laughs> anybody else. And I, like, listen, I respect that Nick Saban is an excellent football coach and he put together winning machines each year. But they were, like, the consistent excellence. I think we didn't get off to a great start. 
in 2012 when they just smacked Notre Dame in the college football national championship that year and I went to bed crying and so that was already a bad <laughs> a bad start and just like the way in which like they always just felt like they were a machine put together to win like the number of just like quarterbacks on those teams which were like completely unremarkable like that I couldn't even name that won a national championship like AJ McCarron and Greg McElroy and like I mean Tua was at least like an exciting prospect but like the running backs on the team, like, you had some good ones in there. Mark Ingram, Josh Jacobs. But I just feel like they were always, like, a product built to win and never, like, exciting, dynamic teams. And, like, just a consistent level of dominance was frustrating, especially in the sport, which I care most about. So maybe that tips my hand. But I'll put together Nick Saban in Alabama as the biggest villain of the decade. What about you, Jared? Who are you picking? I like that pick, but I respect Alabama more than I hate them, so I didn't pick them. My villain was Draymond Green and the Golden State Warriors. They just got so cocky, especially Steph Curry. And I, I was very happy to see LeBron like block Steph Curry in that game six back in 2016 and like talk down to him and stuff. I was like, yeah, he needs that right now. Um, <laughs> and Dray- Draymond Green, who just like does does not he's is just like so overrated in my opinion and just talks so much i just couldn't stand him and then and then they add kd i was like this is stupid i they they broke the game you know i just couldn't stand them so i'm happy to see them losing this year not gonna lie (laughs) (laughs) yeah this is gonna be the rare occasion where we all pick different different options so yay us on that one yeah i know wild um, I'm going with Tom Brady and the New England Patriots. And, you know, I have a, I have an emotional reason for hating the Patriots. I'm a Jets fan. I've had to deal with Tom <laughs> Brady's smug face for, for years. But, you know, the, the last option, which I don't think anyone picked, is, you know, Grayson Allen and Duke also had a very smug, annoying, pretty boy. But what separates Tom Brady and the Patriots is the fact that they have, like, actual, you know, cheating to separate themselves, you know. And last decade we had... Spygate and all of that, uh, but you know that continued. We got Deflategate a couple years ago. You know we had Robert Kraft this summer with some fun, you know, prostitution ring issues, and just the last couple weeks we had just a a very reminiscent situation of Spygate with the possible spying on you know opponents' sidelines. And at this point, they don't really deserve the benefit of the doubt when it comes to situations like that. So not only are the Patriots hateable just based on the personality of, of Bill Belichick and Tom Brady, uh, but and just because of how good they are, just like the other ones, but they're also hateable in the sense that they're kind of sketchy and have been for a while and just keep doing it. So they're my, my villain of choice here. That was yeah, second it was for so, me. Yeah, that was second for me as well. Yeah. Um, they um, to see them lose to the Dolphins and drop down to the three seed <laughs> and not get, not get a first round bye for the first time in this decade, which is in and of itself ridiculous. <laughs> I hate that that's I, the victory. You know that they're still in the playoffs, but you know are dropping down. But it is like that was an extremely satisfying game. <laughs> yeah. Last, last for the best of the decade series, we're going to go with the best sports craze, making it a little fun. We've got Lynn Sanity, Jeremy Lynn with the Knicks, obviously. Fear the Beard, Brian Wilson with the um, San Francisco Giants. Minshew Mania, the newest one on the list. Johnny Football, of course referring to Johnny Menzel and his crazy season when he beat Alabama. Sister Jean of the Loyola Ramblers, back in that really Cinderella story. Um, in the NCAA basketball tournament. And lastly, Jimmer Fredette raining threes from way downtown for BYU. Um, Lucas, who are you going with? I think I'm going to have to go uh, with Linsanity on this one. That's just the one that sticks in my mind the most. Maybe it's because I was in high school. But I just remember after those first few games, everybody coming in and, like, all anybody could talk about was Jeremy Link. Because he just, like, came out of nowhere he went to harvard which is like not a basketball power it's just like not he just like came out of nowhere and like the knicks are so frequently as aiden has said such like a joyless team to watch and he added like an element of like joy and like excitement to watching the knicks so for that reason i'm gonna pick the insanity yeah i'm also going with insanity and i'm a little biased here as as the knicks fan but it, it was such a magical like month maybe it was shorter than that couple of weeks 
but it just seemed so unreal, unlike anything else. You know, when when Johnny Football was good, he was you know seemed like a talented quarterback. You know, a lot of the other crazies just seemed like you know guys that had been good and you know were good. Whereas Linsanity was a guy who was on the bench. You know, no one expected anything from him, and then he came in and was ridiculous. And you know, his his career after that has not been incredible. He's been solid, but the fact that it was such like a a curve of like from from nothing to like just a dominant couple of weeks where he averaged like 20, 25 points a game. He had the game winner against Toronto in a really iconic moment and then kind of went back to being, you know, a normal solid basketball player. It, it did feel like the definition of a craze, something that was just like a, a magical moment in sports that was just for that time, but it was incredible. Yep. This is a moment where we all agree. Um, I, I had to go with Linsanity. This was another one where that was the first one I thought of, and I was trying to think of ones to compete with it, but Linsanity really just tops everything off. Um, because, um, yeah, like you said, it just came as quickly, it came as quickly as it, um, or it left as quickly as it arrived. And um, I remember when watching SportsCenter, all the, like, play on words they did with Lin and stuff, I thought it was super funny. It was just like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> And it really was Lin Sanity. Like, just every night, you're like, what, Jeremy Lin did this? It was just yeah. <laughs> crazy to watch. So. Mm-hmm. We'll finish off the podcast like we always do with our little segment of rants, where we each get a minute or so to just riff on something that's bugging us or maybe making us happy in the world of sports. So we'll start tonight with Jared. Yeah. What is your rant? So I'm going, with, um, I'm going to an NFL off-the-field storyline. So Lamar Jackson for Christmas uh, gave his offensive linemen Rolexes, which to many people, understandably, is like lighting money on fire. I totally get that, getting, getting watch, an expensive watch. And um, one uh, fan, I guess you could say, wrote in uh, to a Baltimore newspaper saying that she was very disappointed that in an age where professional athletes are making an insane amount of money, he couldn't have donated to charities. And, of course, that woman, her, uh, her name is Karen. She got completely demolished on social media. For, so, first off, Lamar donates, does donate money to charity, obviously. Um, the Complex did a good article on it. He donated $25,000 to Louisville-based or- organizations, 4000 to Mission Hope for Kids, and then he's worked at the Baltimore Boy- Boys and Girls Club. Second, he doesn't really even make that much money for an NFL player. His salary is at 910000 so he might not even be making a million this year. So, like, I would, like, back off a little bit on Lamar Jackson. Like, just let him – this is just a class of case of, classic case of people caring way too much about other people's lives and, and then and not, like, just worrying about themselves a little bit. So I was kind of glad to see people come to Lamar Jackson's aid a little bit on that. And I think he seems like he's doing he's, – he's a good guy. Wish him the best and everything in the new year. So that's, that's my rant. Yeah, no, I 100% agree with you on that, Jared. It seems like a case of getting angry for the sake of getting angry. And I'm going to do a quick rant about kind of a trend over the last couple of years, you know, in the spirit of, you know, the decade in review is kind of the politization of sports, I believe is how I'd, how I'd say it, kind of a, a tough word to, to get out. And during the course of my lifetime, before the last couple of years, you don't really see politics in sports often, uh, you know, especially amongst the biggest athletes. And you think about, you know, you know, Michael Jordan or Derek Jeter, kind of iconic athletes of the, the last, you know, 20 years or so. Like, they didn't really say much. They didn't really come out. So it wasn't really something I thought about. And obviously, over the course of the past few years, we had we had Kaepernick with Black Lives Matter, you know, Eric Reed also there. And then um, just with, with Trump in office, you've seen a lot of action from NBA players in terms of... Uh, you know, tweeting about Trump, talking about Trump. Uh, but I think it'll be interesting going into the next decade to see what impact that has had in terms of whether it's, whether more people will speak out in terms of, you know, political situations. Because if you look at the the one example of, or the, you know, one of the few examples of someone who had something to lose, which was Kaepernick in the situation, you know, like, it's one thing for, LeBron to speak out about Trump or for, you know, someone who's big and talented and never going to be cut to speak out. But it's another for Kaepernick, who at the time that he spoke out was, you know, definitely a worthy of being in the NFL. Like, I don't think anyone would argue that. Uh, But he wasn't the elite player or even the, you know, 
star player that he was a couple years earlier. So, so he was really risking his career on it. And the the answer has been that, you know, he's he's not on a team. You know, if you're if you're calling attention to yourself like that, apparently you're not going to be on a team. So it'll be interesting going into the next decade to see if fringe players especially like follow his example because you know he had a the big Nike endorsement he had some you know some positives to take away from this but in terms of his athletic career it obviously adversely affected it um so I'll be very intrigued to see what happens there because when it comes to big players like you know LeBron and guys like that the stakes aren't as high and you know you have a little bit more freedom in terms of what you can talk about you know not not china in lebron's case obviously <laughs> but <other laughs> but uh so it'll be very interesting to see if others follow his example or if he's more of a cautionary tale sadly in terms of you know if you speak out it makes you stand out and if you're not good enough you get cut just the same way that you know a player gets arrested is going to get cut if he's you know a backup but it's going to stay on the team for sure if he's you know a star player so uh, we'll see in the coming years what the the real impact of that was and yeah that's that's my rant less of a rant than just a, a question but anyway yeah lucas wait wait are, i want to add one i want to like yeah yeah piggyback with just one thing real quick yeah yeah that i thought was interesting is michael jordan was considered like kind of famously quiet on social issues mm-hmm. There's the the rumor that he said Republicans buy shoes too, which is why he wasn't speaking out on stuff mm-hmm. until until this decade when he donated a bunch of money to um, to like a Black Lives Matter movement and also to combating um, police brutality. Um, yeah. So I think that's that kind of goes plays right into what you were saying about yeah, and that shows that you know you know that's an influence of of possibly Kaepernick, right? The idea of you know he he spoke out and then Jordan did too afterwards. But, but you haven't really seen guys, you know, stake a lot on it besides Kaepernick. Cause mm-hmm. you know, I hate to keep picking on LeBron, but you know, <laughs> we've seen him talk about, about somewhat easy matters and, you know, dissing Trump, which is within the, you know, the landscape of the NBA. There've been studies that shown that NBA fans are more liberal leaning than say NFL or, or other teams. That's something that's somewhat of an easy win, but he's not going to be super bold on other issues that could possibly adversely affect him in terms of endorsement money or or something else. Whereas with Kaepernick, we see someone who had something to lose and lost it to an extent um, for the sake of the cause. So yeah, we'll see. And then just one quick thing to clarify, Uh, Michael Jordan donated a million dollars each to the Institute of Community Police Relationships and then the NAACP Legal Defense Fund. So, um, still not, still hedging his bets in a way. But... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know Michael Jordan and betting. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, God, yeah. 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 No, I think it's an interesting question to be posed as well, Aiden. My rant is pretty quick and brief um, and not as an interesting a way as Aiden presented his rant, but I just wanted to talk very briefly, going back to England and the Premier League, about sort of the amount that they're forced to play over this Christmas period um, with lots of games. I think in the two weeks between the Saturday before Christmas and the Sunday after New Year's, they play between four or five games, depending on the team, which is just like a ridiculous amount, especially for a sport as taxing as soccer. I mean, all the coaches have spoken out against it, except in England. Um, Every other uh, like major league in Europe has like a break over Christmas, but the premier league ramps it up to where you're playing five games in the span of 15 days. Um, and which just can't be good for recovery. In a lot of games teams are forced to like play their backup. They're just like, they just pick a game in that period. and just are like forced to play their backups for a game because like, otherwise you'd have people getting injured left and right. And people do get injured left and right. So I realize, like, as a fan, I enjoy it. I get to wake up every other day and see a game. But, like, for the sake of, like, players and players' health, like, I think it was Manchester City played a game. Um, it was the night of the 27th and then played the afternoon of the 29th, and they had to travel for the game, too. So, like, just that amount of tax on, like, a body just cannot be good. So I think... For the sake of players and like just protecting their body and longevity, 
they need to take the lead of other European countries and like maybe take a nice break over Christmas instead of like shoving four or five games down your throat in the span of two weeks. Agreed. They yeah. should. They should yeah. be taking a break. Everybody should be taking a break during. This yeah, Christmas. I didn't realize it was that crazy at this time. Yeah. That's yeah. That's a lot of games. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of a lot wow. of miles of running over the course of very little time. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, and lots of travel too, mm. which is also just an L. True. All right, everyone. Thank you guys for joining us on this podcast. If you like the podcast, please share it with a friend. Share it on your social media. Um, and if you see us on social media, let us know what you think of the show, what you might want us to talk about too. Um, everybody have a happy new year, and thank you again for listening.